I love a good underdog story. I love a good underdog story. And in some ways, my entire life has felt like one unending underdog story. Anyone with me? Fantastic. There's five of us. The rest of you, congratulations on your Pinterest perfect life. But whatever, some of us have been underdogs our entire life. Have you ever won a contest or a championship that you didn't deserve to win? You know what I'm talking about, right? So let me fill you in. I'm going to tell you guys a story. When I was 11 years old, I went to this. Uh, I went to state for basketball. It was like the individual competition. So it was the ball handling, passing, shooting, all that jazz. And I got third place. And man, I thought I was the business. Like Michael Jordan's my cousin, right? Disregard skin tone. It don't even matter. Like we from the same family. And I'm going to be the first female player in the NBA. This was like way before the WNBA, right? And I'm going to be the first female player in the NBA. And I love basketball. Every night, we'd eat dinner, I'd do my chores, and I'd automatically go out back and just shoot some hoops. I loved it. But when I was 11, I was at a friend's birthday party. His name was Harold, and he had a big old trampoline. And so, big bear terror goes out there, and I'm just jumping up and down, boing, boing. Like, I'm not doing anything crazy. I was never accepted into a gymnastics class because I couldn't do a somersault. Whatever, I'm not bitter, all right? So I'm just jumping, and I can't land funny, and my leg hurts. And I go to the doctor like a month later, and basically, I had dislocated my hip. The ball of my hip socket uh, came out of place and was uh, lower in my leg than where it should be. And so, in a period of two years, I had three surgeries and would end up dislocating both hips and would not walk during that entire two years. And that was right after I went to state. And my dreams were crushed. And I'll never forget my doctor, Dr. Starziak. I'll never forget what he said to me after my third surgery and I was cleared. He said, Tara, good luck. You'll never be active again. You have the hips of an 80-year-old. And I thought, well, you must not know who my God is. I beg to differ. So fast forward 20 plus years, I grew up becoming an adult. I moved to San Angelo, right? Like, God totally sends me to St. Angela, and I'm like, this place is whack. It's full of Indians and cowboys, and I'm like, the only one in the state that doesn't have a truck or a pair of boots. And I'm, I'm down there, and I end up playing indoor soccer with some friends, right? I have one signature move in indoor soccer. When I get the ball, I put my foot on the ball against the wall, and I stand there until I catch my breath. Because I'm the only one on the field going, <laughs> And then these girls that are the size of my left leg will come up and I'll kick it and I'll be like, hey, come on, give me the ball, give me the ball. And I'm like, give me a minute or give me an inhaler, okay? <laughs> like, this is on purpose. This is not some accidental move. This is my signature trademark move. So if you'd stop kicking the ball, I'd appreciate it, right? That's the only thing I could do in soccer. And I could run pretty fast, but I didn't have a break, so it kind of scared some people. But I'm always on the team that loses, right? Like, I am forever on the team that loses my entire life. Until recently, I was on the indoor soccer team to be on. It was full of collegiate-level soccer players from the university in town. I'm the only one on the team who has never played college soccer, high school soccer, junior high soccer, peewee soccer. I'm not a soccer player. I'm just a pretender, right? Because I one time had a doctor tell me, you're never going to do anything. And I'm like, well, watch me. Watch me whip, watch me nene, watch me dab. I'm going to play soccer, all right? And so, I, you know, I'm with all these incredible soccer players. I mean, they've got, like, the perfect body. 
Their muscles are carved out like nothing I'd ever seen. And then there's Big Bear, right? And, and so the, it was so perfect. I didn't have to do anything. As a matter of fact, they were purposely trying to set me up to score a goal, right? Because I just wanted to score a goal. And so it was so bad. Anytime I'd go into the game, first of all, I'd only last like 10 minutes at a time. Okay, whatever, two minutes. It felt like 10 minutes. And my coach would say, Tara, go to the white dot and stand. Get ready. Go to the white dot. And I'd be like, what? I can't hear you. Go to the white dot. So I'm shuffling, truffle, shuffling all the way there. I'm like, go to the white dot, go to the dot, right dot, Tara. Get ready, they're gonna get the ball, and you're gonna scoot and sh- you're gonna shoot and score. Scoot and shore, whatever. You're gonna shoot and score, and it's gonna be awesome. Just go to the white dot. And so when I played, I'd go and I'd stand on the white dot. And they're all like, zero, zero, zero. But I'm just I'm standing on my white dot. I'm doing what I'm told. Like the ultimate special player. I'm that player, right? So um, fast forward that season, we ended up winning the entire indoor season. Undefeated, won every single game. We won some games by like eight points. And no, I never got a goal. But I was a champion because I was on that team. I was like, what the Henry just happened? Like, I just won my first championship, right? Didn't get a t-shirt or anything. But it's my ultimate underdog story. There's no way that I should have ever won a soccer championship. But really, truth be known, I didn't contribute anything to that championship. I was just the white dot occupier. You know what makes an underdog story so great? There is always an unseen, sometimes unknown force behind the events that are happening that rewrites the pages of history in real time. And I don't know if you know this, but that's who God is. He's the ultimate author of underdog stories. And man, the Bible is chock full of down and outs and imperfect, busted up, broken people who got it more wrong than they ever got it right. Tonight, I'm gonna share with you guys a story about one of my favorite underdogs. His name, Gideon. Gideon was a coward, scared out of his mind. It's found in Judges chapter six is where we were starting tonight, verse one. Says this, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. Midianites come and destroy God's people. They're not listening. They're doing the wrong thing. Can anyone relate? I'm doing one. Fantastic. Okay, so me and the Israelites were doing the wrong thing. We're not listening to God. And there's trouble. Dun, dun, dun. The Midianites were punks, man. They were like bullies. And so the Midianites would come in, and anytime a crop would grow, anytime there was a good crop or food to eat, the Midianites would come in, not just with them, but with their livestock, and they would plunder the land. They would take everything. It says that they would literally eat all of the crop. And it was so bad that the Israelites made for themselves holes and caves to hide in. So when the Midianites would come and with their camels, the Bible says that there were so many, it was like swarms of locusts. And when the Midianites would come and would plunder the land and would take everything, the Israelites would go hide in their caves. And they'd wait for them to leave. Gideon was one of those people. We catch up in verse 6, which says this. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. 
And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. Story starts with trouble. Part number two, they cry out to God for help. Anyone relate? Hey, God, could you help me pass the test tomorrow? I didn't really study, but please, I'll study next time. Just help me win this one, right? God's response, we'll pick up in verses 7, 7 through 10. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Like, if I were an Israelite, I would be feeling real salty that I even cried out for help, right? I mean, God's like, basically, dude, have you forgotten? I did X, Y, and Z for you, and I told you that I'm going to be your God, and you're going to listen to me? But no, you wanted to be a punk and do your own thing. And Sir Cricket's tripping. Meanwhile, there's Gideon. Gideon is hiding out, beating out wheat in a wine press. Trying to protect this crop from the big, bad, mean people. An angel of the Lord appears and says, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Here's the thing. God will always call you by your true identity, not by how you're acting. God is so confident in how he made you that he will never speak anything other than the truest you, which is your true identity. God sees what is true of us and in us even when we cannot. So an angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and says, God is with you, mighty man of valor. Gideon's response, classic. Oh yeah? Really? Because if he's with us, then why is all of these bad things happening? Where is he? Why all the chaos? Why all the trouble? The hardship? Where are all the supposed good things of God that our ancestors told us about? God has left us. And he's allowed us to fall into our enemy's hand. The angel, his response, hilarious. He totally ignores Gideon's question. How many of you ever ever felt like God totally ignored your question? You're like, hey God, blah, blah, blah. And God's like, "Uh, nope, (laughs) not going there. The angel says this. Go in the might and strength of what you have and God will deliver the Midianites into your hand. Gideon saying, if God is good and God is really with us, and why are all these bad things happening? And the angel saying, Gideon, you need to go. Gideon's like, are you kidding me? Me? I'm the weakest of everyone in this land. My clan is the puniest. We have nothing. Translation, pick someone else. God, I'm not doing it. It's here that the angel says, Gideon, God is with you and you will win. So it's here that Gideon first asks for a sign. And so he goes, if you're really an angel of God, if you're really talking to me about this, do me a favor and hang tight. 
So Gideon goes inside and prepares his feast really quick. Fish tacos, filet mignon, brisket, the whole works, beans, rice. Not really. More like some goat bread. And he comes out and the angel of the Lord says, Gideon, put the food on the rock and pour the broth on it. Gideon's like, I just worked really hard to whip up that broth. And you want me to just pour it on a rock, right? Angel's like, just do it. And then so Gideon does it and he sets the food on a rock and pours the broth on it. And it says that the angel takes the tip of his staff and he touches the food. And instantly fire comes up from the rock and engulfs the food. And the angel vanishes. I'm thinking they should open a restaurant. No, for real. Like, they should open a restaurant and call it uh, Angel's Flame Rock Barbecue. I'd go. And if I'm Gideon at this point, I don't know if I'm scared or if I'm, like, wanting to run away or if I'm, like, ooh, am I feeling okay? What's happening? Gideon then worships and realizes that he's spoken with an angel of God, but the, the adventure continues to unfold. God tells Gideon, Gideon, there's a false idol in your father's backyard. Go take it down. It's making God upset. Gideon's like, uh, awkward. <laughs> like, shaking in his boots, right? Like, because everyone in the time worships this false god. And everyone knows that you don't take down what everyone's participating in. And God said, Gideon, go. And Gideon is literally so scared that he has to do it at night. <laughs> So no one sees him. Ever been scared to do what God's asked you to do? Right? You don't want to do it in front of the popular, in front of the friends. So Gideon at night goes and he takes down the false god and, and he destroys it. And the next morning, the whole town is blah, 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 blah. Everyone's like, who took down the false god? We're going to tar and feather him. <laughs> they start researching. They start asking questions. Maybe they call Oprah Winfrey, Dr. Phil. I don't know. But they start figuring it out. And they eventually figure it out that it was Gideon. And Gideon kind of gets in trouble. God could not have chosen anyone more unqualified than Gideon. The story continues. God tells Gideon that Gideon is going to lead his people and to conquer the Midianites. So Gideon, scared coward that he is, asks for a sign. He says, okay, just to be sure that it's you, God, that's talking to me, I'd like to give you a test. I'm going to take a piece of fleece and I'm going to set it out overnight. And in the morning, I want all of the ground to be dry, but my fleece to be wet. Gideon goes to sleep, tick-tock, tick-tock. He's sleeping, snoring, drooling, doing whatever he got to do. Next morning, he gets up, he goes to his fleece, and the ground is completely dry, but the fleece is not. As if that isn't enough, as if God needs to prove himself again, Gideon gives another test. Okay, thank you, uh, but I'd like to present another test. So Gideon says, this time, I'm going to set up the same fleece, and I want the fleece to be completely dry, but the ground to be completely wet. Tick-tock, tick-tock, Gideon goes to sleep, and God, as patient as he is, says, okay, Gideon. So Gideon goes to sleep, and the next morning, Gideon wakes up, and his fleece is completely dry, but the ground is completely wet. God was incredibly patient with Gideon. Have you ever needed nine million signs from God? 
Easy put Gideon off the right? Dang, Gideon, you're kind of being a punk. Like, just do what God said to do, right? But I don't know if you're like me, but if we're really being honest and step back for a minute, I can, can relate to Gideon. You know what I'm saying? Because God will be like, hey, Tara, I want you to do this. And I'm like, um, gee, I don't know if that's God speaking. Huh. Well, I'll give it another day. If he says the same thing tomorrow, I'll pay attention. God the next day says, hey, Terry, remember I want you to do this? And I'm like, shucks. Could that be you? Well, God, if it's you, I'd like for you to rent a billboard on Sherwood Way. I'm going to be on there tomorrow about 10.30 a.m. And if it's you, just put the same message on the billboard and sign dash God, right? I used to say that to God when I was a kid. Now people rent billboards and put messages from God. It creeps me out. But whatever. <laughs> I'm like Gideon and I'm always asking for 9 million signs from God. And we make it really complicated. And God who could instantly zap Gideon with the lightning bolt is so patient. He's so kind. And he keeps proving himself to Gideon. So now God says, Gideon, you're going to lead your people and defeat the Midianites. Gideon had 32,000 men. There were hundreds of thousands of Midianites. It says that where there were so many that they were like locusts. Gideon only has 32,000 men. You know what God tells Gideon? Hey, Gideon, you've got too many men fighting for you. I want you to be sure that I'm the one who gave you the victory. Tell anyone in your troop who's afraid to go home. That day, 22,000 men leave and go home. Gideon is now left with 10,000 men. And God says, Gideon, 10,000 men is still too many. Go drink water. And for those that get on their hands and knees and drink water like an animal, send them home. They're not fit for battle. And that day, Gideon is left with 300 men. 300 men down from 32,000 men. I don't know if you're a math whiz, but that's not even 10%. 10% would have been 320, I think. 300 men against hundreds of thousands, countless. They're like locusts. And God says, Gideon, now you're ready. See, here's the thing. God will purposely orchestrate events and situations in your life so that he can prove himself to be, to, to be God. But we get it twisted and we think, oh man, God's whack, God's bogus. He's not real, he's not good. If he's good, then how come cancer's here? And if he's good, then how come my parents got a divorce? And if he's good, then how come so-and-so died? And, and we miss it. God purposely sets up situations in your life so that he can remind you and show you that he is God and he has not fallen off his throne and he's not having a bad day and he is not stressed out. He is not overwhelmed. He actually does all things really, really well because that is who God is. But we forget that in the everyday lives. That's why he is God and you are not. If God doesn't show up, we're in trouble. Gideon and three hundred men against countless others. So God says, hey Gideon, are you still afraid to go fight the people? Gideon's like, yes. You know, I mean, I don't know, he's sweating, he's got severe pit sweat going on, like. 
So God says, Gideon, if you're still afraid, take your assistant and go down into the enemy's camp. Not very logical, right? That's what God said. So Gideon's like, oh, hey, bro, we're uh, going to go on an adventure. You want to go grab a Coke with me at the 7-Eleven? <laughs> right? And then they go down into the enemy's camp, and they're hiding out, and they're listening. They're listening. And this is what Gideon hears. There's one soldier telling another soldier, dude, I had a crazy dream last night. And the homeboy's like, oh, for real? What was it? And the guy's like, well, out of nowhere, there was a loaf of bread, and it came flying down, and it hit my tent, and it knocked it over, and I was in trouble. And the guy said, that is nothing but the sword of Gideon from God's people, the Israelites. Now, personally, I think they need to lay off the pizza rolls before bed, but whatever. Dude has a dream, somehow equates a loaf of bread knocking over a tent to being Gideon's sword. Gideon, the biggest coward of the Israelites, right? Sometimes you can hear the greatest truth about who God is and what he's doing in your life just by listening to the enemy. Sometimes you can learn the greatest truth about who God is and what he's doing in your life by listening to the enemy. The enemy's constantly whispering in your ear, you're a loser, you can't do it, you're a failure, you screw up all the time, God's not going to forgive you. And everything he says is a complete, absolute lie. There is no truth in the devil. Everything he says is a lie, which means you automatically know the truth of God without ever getting in a word. Because what you do is you take the lie from the enemy and you flip it on its head. What devil? I can't do that? Oh, you're wrong. Philippians 4.13 says I can do anything through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. But we start believing what the enemy says. So Gideon gets a surge of confidence. He's like, loaf of bread, my sword? Okay, whatever. God's got this, right? And so Gideon goes back and he hubbles up his 300 men. All right. Hey, guys. Here's the plan. And I guarantee Gideon was not the only one scared that day, right? They're all like panicking. I mean, there were 32,000. There were 10,000. Now there's 300. Their morale was low. They were the losers, the underdogs. The odds were totally stacked against them. So Gideon says this, guys, just follow my lead. I've got this. I think there were some snickers in camp that day. They're like, did he just say he's got this, right? I mean, after all, Gideon was the coward who was hiding in the wine press making wheat. And Gideon's saying, hey, guys, we got this. God's got this. Just follow my lead. And so they go to camp, and each man has a torch, a torch, and each man has a jar, a clay jar over the torch. I'm not going to do that because I don't know if it's fire friendly. And um, the, the torch or the jar might have looked something like this, but probably not. But it would have a handle, and it's like an everyday object that they would use to gather water, right? And so the purpose for, for putting the jar over their torch was to hide the light, Right? Because it's the middle of the night when you're going to attack, right? Like, enemies down there dreaming about barley loves being swords, and Gideon and his 300 measly women are going to attack. So each man had a, a torch with a jar over it and a trumpet. This is actually called a shofar, and this is what a trumpet was back in the day. Do I have any trumpet players in here? No? Fantastic. All right, so this is what Gideon said. We're going to go to camp, and we're going to destroy these people. And here's how it's going to happen. I'm going to blow a trumpet. 
And that's a sign that we're ready, okay? And then after I blow the trumpet, we're gonna break the jar, and then we're gonna yell, a sword for the Lord, and a sword for Gideon. So, here's how it went down, you ready? if you ask me. But here's what happened. Okay, did that really... I mean, that's really... That's cute, Gideon. That's really cute, right? I I mean, that's not really fierce. You could have, like, painted your face or whatever. But they did that. They blew the trumpet, and then all 300 men blew their trumpets, and then they broke their jars, and they lifted up their torch in one hand, they lifted up their trumpet in the other, and they yelled, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And in that moment, God caused confusion in the Midianites' camp. It says that the enemy turned on themselves and began to kill each other. Hundreds of thousands of men got so confused that they turned on each other and began to kill each other. Much like the train wreck game earlier, but imagine swords and blood. Lots of blood. (laughs) And so Gideon and his scared little Israelites charge after them and defeat them. The war is over. God's people win. God gives them the victory. It's the ultimate battle that Gideon should have never won. But they won because that's who God is. The people say, Gideon, you're, you're awesome, man. You're the bomb.com. We want you to rule over us. And Gideon says, no, God's going to rule over you. But I'll be glad to take the gold earrings off your hands. And this is where Gideon gets into trouble. Gideon asks for the gold earrings because they took, they plundered the camp, and they, they took everything, man. And it says that, that the people gave Gideon gold, all of the gold, the gold earrings, big old honking earrings. It was 73 pounds worth of gold, which would be a little over worth a million dollars in our day and age. And Gideon built himself an ephod. An ephod was the vest that the priest would use, and and Gideon put jewels in it. And it says that the people hoard afterwards. W-H-O-R-E-D. That means they were stupid. That means they did something they shouldn't have done. And it says this, well, false idols are always connected to greed. Did you know that? False idols are always connected to greed. I realize that most of you probably don't have a golden Buddha statue in your bedroom at home, and I'm thankful for that. But you know what you have that you have a problem with? You have your Facebook, and you have your Instagram, and you have your social status, and you have your 29 pairs of Nike Roshis, and you have this, and you have that, and you have your awesome car, and you have your great grades, and you have your athletic achievements. And if you're not careful with those things, they become a false idol. Because instead of you owning those things, they now own you. And it's all you see and it's all you pursue. It says that the ephod that Gideon built became a snare to Gideon and his family and the people there. Chapter 8, verses 33 and 34 are some of the saddest verses in the Bible I've ever read. This was after the war, after the battle, after the incredible odds that they beat, after the unreal victory that God gave them, it says this. As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals and made Baal bear their God. 
people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. And they did not show love to Gideon's family. It says that the people of God forgot. How do you forget something that huge? How do you forget the piercing sound of the trumpets echoing in the valley? How do you forget the sight of 300 flames when it's pitch black and your enemy's sleeping? How do you forget the sound of the crashing of the jet clay jars? How do you forget the sound of the bloodshed and the screaming as the enemy turned on itself? You forget because you become God instead of allowing God to be God. Here's the cycle. Struggle, cry out to God, God help, panic, I need help. Odds are against us. God steps in to save the day because he never changes and in the end we always make it about us. How sad we make the heart of God. This tonight is your awakening. It's your awakening. God is asking the Gideons of today to rise up. Rise up, men and women of valor. Trust again that God is in your midst and he is working for you and fighting on your behalf. And in the end, when the gusts have settled and a battle is over and things have quieted down and your life isn't so chaotic, don't you dare lift a finger to be remembered. Gideon wanted to be remembered. Really, Gideon? You went from a coward in a cave to wanting to be remembered. How does that happen? Well, it happens real easily, doesn't it? Can anyone relate to that? You know? Like, we're totally inadequate. We're total failures. God comes in and does something amazing. And then we're like, oh, yeah. I'm the bomb.com. It's all about Jesus. It always has been. It always will be. And he calls you. He invites you. He commands you to die to yourself so that Christ may live in and through you. Got a picture of Michelle Nixon. Come up and we're going to close with that song. It's all about Jesus. Death to selfie. Because it's when we truly die to ourselves that the risen Jesus Christ can live in and through us. And generations after generations begin to know and love and follow the one true God. How did the people of God begin to worship false gods right after Gideon died? Because Gideon's life didn't point them back to the one true God. Gideon's life in the end after that incredible victory pointed back to Gideon. It's all about Jesus. It always has been and it always will be. It's time for you to crawl out of your caves, Gideon. (laughs) Some of you have been hiding a long time because you're scared. I get it. It's hard to do the right thing. It's really easy to do the wrong thing. Some of you are scared that God maybe isn't real because the prayers that you've prayed since before you were even born seems like he doesn't hear. Sometimes it seems like God is asleep and he's not working in our lives. He's not saving the day. 
We've got to stop asking God for sign after sign after sign and simply obey. God gave the ultimate and final sign, and it was the cross of Jesus Christ, and it changed everything. But most of us wear this around our necks because we're cute little Christians, right? I got a cross wall in my house. I guess that makes me more Texan. I don't know. We don't have cross walls where I'm from. (laughs) I got a cross wall. But that cross wall means nothing. It does not define me. It does not add value to my life. What defines me and what adds incredible value to my life is the cross of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus knew that Tara would jack it up. And Jesus knew that Tara was going to get it more wrong than she ever got it right. And Jesus stepped in and saved the day and said, Tara, I got this. It's always been about Jesus. It always has and always will be. And when you do, God gives you the victory. You better make much of Jesus Christ. Your Instagram will never save you. Your followers will never deliver you. Your your social status will never free you from the addictions that have some of you bound. You may feel like the ultimate underdog in your life. In the middle of your story is something you never asked for. Listen, life happens and bad things happen and things break and families fall apart and people die and people get addicted to drugs. But it doesn't change who God is. God is the same today, yesterday, and he will be tomorrow. And in that song, never once have you left my side, God. You know who left? Tara left. When Tara chose her sin, Tara left the side of God. It wasn't God leaving Tara or I'd have the biggest lawsuit on my hands. No, it was Tara wandering off from the fold of God and eventually coming to my senses and say, oh, what a wretched sinner I am in need of a savior. You have all of heaven backing you tonight. All of heaven backing you tonight. There's an incredible cloud of witnesses. Moses, Abraham, David, Miss Esther. People that you know that love Jesus have gone on and died. They are in the cloud of witnesses and they're saying, come on, you can do this. It's worth it. He's really real. You'll really see his face one day. Run your race. (laughs) It's time to rise up, Gideon. Jesus Christ calls you by name and he chooses you. And he highlights you. You're handpicked. And you have an incredible, incredible inheritance as God's child. And it's far, far greater than anything you could ever hope for or dream of. And how you respond to that is entirely up to you. But don't get it twisted thinking you are God when you are not. It always has been and always will be about Jesus. It always has been and it always will be about Jesus. It always has been and it always will be about Jesus. 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 God, thank you for tonight. God, thank you for the Gideons in this room. God, the warriors, the leaders, the ones who feel a burning deep down inside and to be different, to do something different, to get their schools lit for Jesus Christ. 
the warriors who will go home and keep knocking on heaven's door until their family is saved. God, the students in this room who you will use to rewrite the history books, they'll be the ones to lead the next generation to you, Jesus. God, let them never get it twisted. God, may they pursue you more than their own fame and fortune. God, may they care more about what your word says than what Instagram is saying and what's trending and what hashtag is hot and what Facebook friends I have or who's following. God, may it always be about you, Jesus, for these students. And if it's not, God, I'm asking that you would wreck shop in their lives until it is. God, we love you. We love you. Thank you for never, ever leaving us.